Hi, I'm Amy. And I'm Marcella. And we are both transracial and transnational adoptees, as well as licensed clinical social workers and trauma therapists. We have dedicated our lives to shedding light on the complexities of adoption and the system responsible for them. We have seen both personally and professionally the silent and overt struggles brought on by this trauma, and we are determined to do our part to bring about healing. We know that some of the information we share and topics we unpack may be triggering and uncomfortable at times, but we feel the only way to promote change is to be honest by sharing our truths and elevating the experiences of those in our community. We hope you will join us on this journey of listening and learning with an open heart and an open mind. Welcome to Adoptee's Dish. Hey everybody, welcome back to Adoptee's Dish. This is Amy. And this is Marcella. Thank you so much for joining us again. We've been on a little bit of a hiatus and we have missed you all. And we're really, really excited to be back with a super special guest. And we're like embracing all of the Latina power today. And we're really excited because this pairs so nicely, Amy, you were just saying with our continuation of our search and reunion series. Yes. Oh my gosh. I think like I was just saying before we hopped on with our guests today, like we've been trying to get her for so long and just our dates have been, we've all been in transitions and changes and school years and moving and all the things. So I'm just super excited. Um, I think it kind of like the stars align for this specific topic today, just kind of where we're at in the podcast. But I want to introduce you all, all of our amazing listeners to the beautiful and wonderful ML Trimble. She's an amazing, amazing person, amazing friend, amazing clinician, and just like a really um, beautiful spirit. So I'm excited for all of you guys to just dive in and learn a little bit about her. Um, And we're going to talk about not only her journey, also what it's like as an adoptee clinician, and also some of the really powerful work that she's contributed to our community. Um, And so for those of you listening, um, especially those of you in Search and Reunion, I think that there's some really cool resources that that she's contributed that will really, I think, speak to your heart. So without further ado, welcome, ML. How are you doing today? I'm doing well. Thank you for having me. Yeah, thanks for being here. I was just, you guys can't see us, but um, she's just glowing. She's so beautiful. We're so happy that she's here today. Um, So while we just, can you just tell our listeners a little bit about you, whatever feels comfortable sharing about, a little bit about your background and how you got into the work that you do? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I am an intercountry and transracial adoptee. Um, I was born in Cusco, Peru. Um, and adopted by a white family to the U.S. around three years old. Um, I lived mainly on the East Coast growing up in Florida. Um, Yeah. And so, and then I studied um, psychology and forensic behaviors at the University of Central Florida. And then um, I got my master's in counseling psychology in Hawaii um, in Chaminade University. So I think helping people has always been like on my mind, always been, you know, something I wanted to do with my life and therapy or counseling has been um, my outlet for it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You've been like all over the place, which is like crazy. Like you've been like all over the States, all over the place. And I always think it's so interesting you say that because I'm always so, you know, uh, interested that so many adoptees like we do have that like helping urge in us like whatever the 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 work that we're called to do is like we have that helping gene and that's something that I think for so many of us really is a healing you know skill a a healing you know manner for us and then also just kind of a way to kind of you know help others that 
you know, we can relate to in some way, which is really cool. Yes. Yes. I completely agree. Yeah. And I've lived too, like in Wisconsin and California. Um, so definitely been a little bit of everywhere. Yeah. And you're, you're living in Cali now. Mm-hmm. And so for those of for those of our listeners listening, where are you licensed specifically? So like yes. if people are looking for services from you, where are you licensed at this time? Yes. So I'm licensed in Hawaii, Florida, and Wisconsin, and my license is pending for California. So mm-hmm. it's, so close. Um, but Yay. yeah, almost California. <laughs> yeah. We'll have lots of referrals for you. I get lots of requests for California. And so get Seriously. ready, girl. Let us know when that pending status changes. <laughs> <laughs> I will. That's awesome. So I know that in your specific adoption journey for you, search and reunion has been, has played a really significant role. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm curious if you would mind or feel comfortable sharing parts of what that's looked like for you, kind of what, yeah. how, that, how you've navigated that. Yeah. Yeah. So I have two children and I would say the pregnancy and birth of my first child really like woke me up, I mm. think to my adoption story. And then also like mothering, right. As I was entering into this new role, I was almost flooded with just like thoughts of my adoption and family. So that was my journey. I think before that, before being pregnant, um, I was like, yeah, I'm adopted, but it was like, so casual. So like, I wouldn't really say that that was like an integral part of me almost. It was just, yes, this is, this is a part of me. And then also these other things. Um, so I never really dove deep into it, um, and how it impacted me. So, pregnancy really changed me. And I would say that's when I started to look for not only my biological family, but people like me. And that's when I started finding adoptee groups. Mm. Um, First, some like US adoptee groups. And then I found a Peruvian adoptee group, which is really the catalyst for my search and reunion journey. Um, And that was back in 2015. 2015, 2016, um, just seeing this group, um, find some, find their biological family made me think, oh, I could find mine, you know, mm-hmm. or, or could I find mine? Cause there was always a sense, like I couldn't, mm-hmm. you know, there's like no information. Like I just really have any support. I didn't know anybody who had, mm-hmm. um, so seeing other people be in reunion and have successful searches, I was like, oh, I, I can maybe do this. Mm. Um, so that was the start of mine. 2019 is when I found my biological family, um, my maternal side, um, actually through Facebook, I found them. It's oh, wild. It was wild. Yeah. Yes, it was very wild. Um, and from then on, it was just a roller coaster you know, um, of what it means to be in reunion. And I think for me being a clinician, I started to really delve into the emotions Mm -hmm. and like what was happening inside of me, um, as I was going through this process, because it was not easy, you know, but yet at the same time, my life was still going on, right. Mm -hmm. I was still a clinician. I was still a parent, um, Mm -hmm. you know, so I was like, how do I juggle all this? And I find my, I found myself and very like overwhelmed from like, sometimes it's a big deal, but like a small deal at the same time. Right. Just to to certain people. So, um, yeah, yeah, so that's what really prompted me to write 
my book, right? Because I just also found very little resources out there other than talking one-on-one to people, which I loved, you know, I love that. And I love connect, connecting to community. Um, and I also started had therapy at this time too. Um, it's still, I felt like wasn't enough, you know, like I needed some mm-hmm. like real like direction yeah. um, in, in processing this. No, I love like listening to your journey and kind of like how the last several years have really shifted for you. I hear so often from adult adoptees, like when they be entered parenthood or when they got pregnant, so much has shifted and so many more curiosities come out. It's like this whole new level of exploration. And it's literally like that whole idea of like, we really can't know where we're going if we don't know where we're coming from. It's kind of like all embodied, I think, in that experience of like entering parenthood. But I also think you highlight something so important that search isn't just about that end all be all of being in connection with biological. Like I I heard you say like, well, at first I was just curious about other people like me and then, you know, US adoptee groups and then, oh, wow. Like even getting more niched into like my own specific country, like even that in itself, those added layers of, of connection, that's a part of search in my opinion, right? It like mm-hmm. falls under that umbrella. It's not just like, I need to be with biological family. Like, of course that's mm-hmm. a slice of the pie, but it's not always the whole pie. Mm-hmm. Um, and then also just speaking to like, the intensity, intensity. Like I recognize that I was welcoming in this like tremendous chapter of exploration, and I still had all these other responsibilities. And I think for us as adoptees entering search and reunion, that's the hardest part, right? Like our systems are really good at running from the stuff that feels uncomfortable or like shape shifting and adapting to meet the needs of other people because that fawning is so like such a like profound survival strategy in relational trauma. So having to really sit with, okay, if I really want to like, explore this and I really want to like navigate this, I have to figure out a way to be more present. And that mm-hmm. can be really hard when we like navigate healing journeys because we have all these other responsibilities like that independently are also very difficult, like parenting, right? <laughs> and like being in partnership and like yeah. being a businesswoman, right? And writing this awesome resource. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I think, I thank you for sharing that because I think in that story, others listening will feel less alone, you know, like mm-hmm. that this is a really monumentous and ma- like huge thing that you take on when you enter search and reunion. So thank you so much for, for sharing yeah, that. For sure. And it reminds me of, I, I, it was in one of our search and reunion episodes, and we were talking about like worlds kind of colliding. And I think that, you know, when we think about that, a lot of times we're talking about like our adoptive family and like our birth family worlds, worlds are colliding or like us as the adoptee are colliding into reunion with birth parent. But like just what you were saying was so powerful of the world's colliding kind of happens even before that it can Mm -hmm. happen just as you're going through the search process of oh my gosh all this stuff that I hadn't unpacked yet is colliding with my life today and like all of the things that I just have to do on a day-to-day basis and I think that that's something that for any non-adoptees out there is something really important to attune to because that's really hard like that is really hard for us as adoptees to have to navigate like all of our day-to-day responsibilities of being a human. And then also all of this stuff that is like bubbling and unpredictable and all of these kinds of things. And so I think that it just really speaks to, there's so many layers of worlds colliding. You did write this awesome book, like this awesome Mm -hmm. resource. So tell us a little bit about that and like what you you already started to a little bit, but tell us Mm -hmm. like kind of what was that inspiration behind that? And And why did you feel like that was such an important tool for right now for our community? Mm. Yeah, well, just in my practice, I was noticing I was getting a lot of calls 
about mm. reunion or like, Hey, I've been in reunion for like 10 years, but I'm still having difficulties. And sometimes, you know, with regulation laws, like we were just talking about the States I'm licensed and like, I couldn't work with these people. Right. Like, so yeah. they're from other States. Um, and then, and, or maybe they couldn't afford therapy and, you know, there, there's such like chat, there's such challenges, I think with getting yeah. adequate or the appropriate help, um, for your needs. And so, I was like, I would, I want to work with these people, right? Like I want to help, you know, I think that's the basis. And so part of, I was like, okay, I want to have like a resource, something that I could be like, Hey, please check this out. Mm-hmm. Like it's written by an adoptee, you know? Um, and for other people to be like, Hey, this adoptee therapist wrote this book about it. You know, let's see if you resonate with any of the prompts. Let's see if you resonate with what she wrote. Um, because yeah, I just felt like there was such like a lack of anything like this, um, more of like a workbook, well, sorry, workbook style, you know, yeah. um, versus like just me. I do share a little bit of my journey, but mm-hmm. like I'm also just wanting people to process this because there's usually so many more questions I think that come out of reunion um, and building relationships than answers. Um, and so as we get the skill to work through these hardships, through these emotional times, I think that's overall like what's helping. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that was the reason and why um, I wrote it um, was just to have another resource out there for us. Yeah. Oh my God. Thank you for doing it. Thank for that. Thank you for that labor of love. And I think it's such a cool resource. I love that it's a workbook style. I love the prompts inside of it. I think anytime that we in a safe place can be curious about stuff, it's so important. And as adoptees, I don't think like many of us have the experience of being able to practice that, right? Like Mm -hmm. practice being curious about like what truly and authentically is coming up for me without feeling like we have to water it down, sugarcoat it, change it, whatever. And so knowing that the author is coming from a place of lived experience and that clinical matching, I think just like when I was looking through it and going through everything, it like provided such as like a layer of safety. Like I felt like I can Mm -hmm. be curious about this because I know that this person is coming from a place of like complete affirmation and validation and that like whatever comes up for me as I'm like answering and thinking about these prompts, like it just makes sense. And I felt like I was given a lot of permission to do that. So I loved how you incorporated that. Yeah. And there was so many things even like in your, like the way you wrote it that I was like, duh, like that makes so much sense. And I never really thought about it in that way before. Like, I love how you talk about, like, you're not just reconnecting with, biological Mm -hmm. family but like you kind of reconnect with maybe with like your land or Mm -hmm. your language there's other things that we're reconnecting with and stuff like that and I think that that's just such like a a powerful thing not just for what it is but also like it can like meet people exactly where they're at maybe people can't or aren't ready to meet biological family right now it's just about going to their country or going to their like state of birth or whatever it might be and that's enough like that's you know I just loved how you broke that down and I think you did such a beautiful job in this in your work yeah for sure it felt super safe I'm like looking at it right here because I like have it in my (laughs) office because I have a lot of adoptees that are at various stages of search and reunion and sometimes you know I think that when we see something that's like a journal or a workbook I think sometimes people you know kind of run the other direction because they're like oh I'm gonna have to dig deep there and like that feels really scary and like that's a lot 
And I agree with Amy 100%, just the way that you laid it out doesn't feel scary. Like it's very like you can go at your own pace. And sometimes like I'll be in session and like a client and I will just explore one of those questions Mm -hmm. and like just kind of sit with it. And like really like you were talking about feel like what comes up for your body when you, you know, hear that or sit with that or what emotions come up. And so it doesn't have to be this like, you know, homework assignment. I think it can be this really like beautiful, just like way to kind of uh, move through the journey that I think is really safe and really powerful. And I love that it's accessible to everybody, especially like you said, we can't, we can't help everybody just because of licensing and restrictions and things like that. But I think a lot of people don't know about just the benefits of things like journaling or just writing Mm -hmm. stuff out and seeing it on paper. Um, Or I was talking with a client the the other day, they had gone through it. Now they're at kind of a different stage of reunion. And they went back and looked at the the questions that they'd answered. And they're like, oh, I feel different about that Mm -hmm. now. Or like something different's coming up for me. And it's just like this beautiful thing Mm -hmm. that can kind of like adapt and evolve with Mm -hmm. you, which I think is amazing. Yeah. It's such an awesome and needed thing. And we don't really have resources out there on this specific topic. And this is such a massive topic because I think like, again, I think so much of the myth is like search and reunion is just about biological family. But like, as you beautifully lay out, search and reunion is not just about that. It's about why does my hair look this way? Like, why is my skin this color? Like, why do I have such a strong interest in basketball and everyone else in my family is an artist? You know, it's like, there's these things that we're constantly longing and searching for when we understand um, our identities. And I think that like, you do a really beautiful job of letting all of that exist. Not just like, I think what a lot of clinicians who aren't adopted you know, informed might, you know, think like, oh, search and reunion is just about finding biological family. Mm-hmm. You allow so much more of that to exist. And so I really love how you, you cre- created this, but I'm curious for you as a clinician, or maybe even in like the feedback you've gotten after creating this workbook, like, what do you feel are some of the biggest themes that you come across in search and reunion? Like what shows up repeatedly for you when mm-hmm. working with, with our community? Yes. Um, grief and loss, mm. you know, then that's why I, yep. I made it a specific section yeah. in the book. Um, I love that. because it touches on everything. I, you know, as we go through, there's a misconception. I think that reun- searching and reunions only like the positive emotions, you know, and when the adoptee and it's almost feels very comfortable to share the, the positive emotions. Right. And it's mm-hmm. uncomfortable to share I'm feeling really sad, even though this, even though I found this, you know, why, and there's always this question, why am I feeling this way? And I really want to normalize that, like, this journey isn't just about positives, like there's so much loss that we will uncover. Um, And with loss, there's grief you know, and that is okay. You know, there's nothing wrong with you when you're feeling more grief maybe than joy. Mm -hmm. Um, And so that is definitely a theme I see um, is just the overwhelming amount of loss. And then what do I do with this? It's like almost the next question. Like once we recognize it and we are not afraid of it, what do we do with it? Mm. You know, it can feel like such a burden um, especially like, as we were saying earlier, like with our other life stuff, how yeah. I'm super happy at this other stuff going on in my life, but I'm also feeling so sad, mm. you know, in the inside. And so 
that's something that comes up for me a lot um, when working with clients and just helping them hold this and see that like they can process it. We can ritualize it. You know, that's something that I try and go into um, and just try and find a way to recognize that it's there. Right. Um, and just a part of the journey. Mm. I love how you bring that to light because I do think there's like this expectation um, that, oh, if I'm in reunion, like I've got the gold ticket, right? Like I should just be grateful. I should be happy. Like we hear those words so much on the other side of the narrative, but I think too, because we know there's so many other adoptees out there who would love to know biological family or have access to certain information. And it's just not a possibility. So sometimes when we have that connection, we're like, oh, we should just feel a certain way. And that's not always the case. Or as you're describing, like sometimes that is the case. And we also know that in the beauty, in the like connection, there's also recognizing, wow, like I'm realizing all the things I missed out on. Or I'm realizing that, you know, somebody isn't as healed as I would like, you know, hope mm -hmm. they might be. Or maybe there's like cultural differences here that like are just really heavy, you know. So there's so much still there. Yeah. So I think it's just another reminder that like whether you're somebody who's in the search and reunion process specifically to meet biological family or you're somebody who doesn't either have that or want that you're brave no matter either way you're navigating this. Like this is hard stuff to hold no matter how that presents in your life. And just like to share that reminder that like you are a courageous and, and strong person, um, mm -hmm. whether you're in reunion or whether you're not reunion or whether you're searching. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. So I think either way, something that I found just personally within my own reunion journey for people that I work with, I think that there's the reality of being an adoptee is I think you're always like kind of uncovering new losses. Like mm -hmm. I went into reunion being like, yeah, I can kind of expect this loss or like maybe this will come up. And then, you know, now years into it, I'm like, oh shit, like I kind of <laughs> feel this loss now or like, oh wait, now I'm really feeling this. And I never thought about that before. And so I think that this, again, this is like such a, a resource that's um, you know, perfect for kind of going back to and reevaluating because like there is nothing that is, you know, straight line trajectory about reunion. There's like bumps in the road and roller coasters and loop-de-loops and all of these kinds of things. And what I think can remain a, a really anchoring consistent thing in there is how we attune to ourselves. And I love the word you used of like ritualize it or like I sometimes talk about like just honoring whatever mm -hmm. it is that comes up and having that be the constant when everything else kind of seems like it's all over the place. Like mm -hmm. that's something we can do for ourselves. Do you mind saying like sharing with people listening what you meant by ritualizing just to make sure that everyone understands what you mean by that? Yeah. Yeah. So what I mean by ritualizing is like an event or like honoring something that symbolizes recognition Mm -hmm. that this is here mm -hmm. um, and that I'm processing or I'm, I'm grieving, mm -hmm. right? So grieving, I think used to have this sense of like, let's cry these little tears. Oh, I'm done. Grieving can now be like this very big expressive cry screams. Like we want to like, look at this culturally too. And I actually um, really encourage my clients to look, especially if they're inter-country adoptees, how does your like heritage, your, your culture express grief? Mm. Um, because it's another way to write to like really incorporate and reunite, right. With, with, um, our cultures are, um, so 
I do different things for grief. I'll just share some of the mine um, mm-hmm. or rituals too. So event or honoring, um, sometimes I'll light a candle. Mm-hmm. Sometimes I'll, I'll write a poem. Um, I sometimes I'll sing a song. So I also really like to incorporate sensory work into this because we mm-hmm. can put a lot um, of, I mean, my thing is about journaling. So I do like, I think that finding words is important, but also just acknowledging the kind of trauma that we had, like early trauma, relational trauma, they, there may not be words. Yes. Right. So there may, so there's been like this feeling that you have, like, how do we express this and be okay with it? Um, and that sometimes can come through sensory work, right? So like smelling a candle, like watching the flame, um, writing a poem that sometimes doesn't make sense to anybody else, but it does to me, mm-hmm. um, you know, or singing a song. So that, that very sensory work that can help ritualize this grief. Mm. Um, and of course, crying. Crying, I think, is such a ritual when you maybe have not allowed yourself to cry, maybe didn't realize how many tears were there. Yeah. Um, but just allowing yourself to let go and just cry, you know, and have no ending point and, um, and just, yeah, really let your soul, you know, yeah. have a good cry. Um, I think that's also a ritual. One of the things I love about you as like a person and like outside of this conversation, I know you too, and I've known you for a while now. And like one thing I just love about you that I always get anytime I'm in connection with you, ML, is that you like are so, and I've said this already, but like you do such a beautiful job of like giving space and permission. Like you just like, I think that is one of your gifts that you just like, you allow things to just be and like, it's okay, no matter how that shows up. And I love that about you. And when I listen to you talk, <clears throat> like, and it just like, the, I love like giving people the curiosity of like, what does this look like in your native culture? Right. Mm-hmm. Because sometimes I think, we hold so much in our bodies that we don't understand. And when we've been in like colonized communities or when we've been in, you know, communities that maybe just like have different practices, we feel that dissonance in our body. Like we can feel like my body really wants to shake or move or groove or scream, but I've been like taught that that's just not acceptable here in this space. So allowing ourselves to just like really honor whatever it is and like without the shame. Like, I think that's like knowing that like, of course your body needs to do this right now, like honor it, follow that path and see like how that shape shifts. And like, if that offers Mm -hmm. some relief to your system, I love that so much, so much, so much, so much. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I think it speaks to just what we're up against as adoptees with many adoptive parents, adoptive families, clinicians, like, you know, psychiatrists, whoever else out there, teachers that aren't attuned in that way, right? Like the knee-jerk reaction isn't to see some of these things coming out as grief or as like immense loss or as mourning or hurt or any of those things. Like the knee-jerk reaction is to see like the surface level, like, oh, that's not acceptable. Or like, why are they doing that? Or like, that's not appropriate. And I think that that is something really important for non-adoptees that have somebody adopted in their life, like using that lens more because Mm -hmm. we carry just so much grief within our systems that most of the time, if that is attuned to, you're probably more on track than if you were to just like disregard it completely. And I think that that would just that would be such a life-changing thing for for adoptees to be attuned throughout every single step of 
this this grief process, which just happens to be like our life. So you know, <laughs> that's that's fun. It's just our life. Yes, right. It's just it's just our life, a never ending grief and loss process. But yes. so we love some attunement with that out there, people. Mm-hmm. We love it. It's so true, though. Like if we think about all the guests that we've had on our on our podcast or even our episodes, and I think like once we like get through the topic a little bit, the underlying, the foundation, what the that tree is rooted in, it always comes back to grief. And so I think like one of the takeaways is that we always have to be looking at adoptees and our community through the framework of grief and loss, right? Like this makes sense because this massive grief has hit the system. Like this massive amount of grief and loss has entered this, this story and this narrative. And like, how does that shift our perspective when we look at everything, literally everything through that angle? And I think if we can just have clinicians, teachers, parents, you know, other, you know, community members hold that, like just that piece of information I think would be such a game changer because too often we're like taught to look at things like from, especially as clinicians, like look at it from a behavioral framework or like look at it from X, Y, and Z, or it's just a cognitive thing. And it's like, no, it's not. It's not. (laughs) No, no, it's not. Or like, how do we reframe this? And you're like, but there's no reframing. It just is. Yeah. It's like loss. Yeah. Yeah. Period. You know? And, And so it's okay to not reframe it. And it's okay. I think another part too, is like you journey through reunion. It's okay to like feel sad again. You know, mm-hmm. I think we will cry a lot. And I remember going through big crying spells and really just letting my body like, you know, go through it, but still, I will still have like cries and that's okay. And definitely coming from like a compassion piece, does one ever get over, let's put this in quotes, get over the loss of many years, right? With your biological mother, with your family, yeah. with your country. Like mm-hmm. it's okay for us to not feel quote over it. Um, you know, at times. Yeah. yeah. I would argue yeah. no. My argument is like, no, we don't, right? Let's just like I would say, yeah, I'm I'm living proof. No. Like right. it's exactly. just to know me. <laughs> but it's I don't think, yeah. Psychology or like helpers will want you to feel better. Yeah. Like there's that sense, right? But when we talk to clinicians or people with lived experience, it's okay for us to not. Yeah. Yeah. It's like giving that permission for it. And I think that that's so huge. And for people out there that are, you know, wanting to support an adoptee through this, I always kind of attune, you know, whether it's clinicians that I work with or parents of like, you also have to get comfortable being uncomfortable with like, how do you grieve? Like you probably experienced losses in your life. Maybe they're different than ours as adoptees, but like, did you let yourself grieve that? Like, what did that look like for you? Did you just kind of like suppress it all? Did you like pretend that it didn't exist? Because how you make space for grieving is going to inevitably affect how that adoptee has permission to grieve their stuff. And so you do play a part in that process of like what is okay and like given permission to and validated. And if that's a hard thing for you, then that may be something to kind of explore more and like work through. Yeah. And that evolution of grief too. Like we don't have to understand everything that's causing us that heartache right now like you said, there's things that like might present much further down the line. Like, for example, one thing that I've been sitting with a lot recently in my journey is that my biological mom and I have been like in and out of connection over the years. And right now we're like leaning back into a space of connection, which just feels really healing and and magical. 
And I have two kids. I have my two biological kids and noticing like, oh, wow, they don't know their biological grandma. They have these other amazing, wonderful grandparents in their life that show up and are tremendous. And they also don't have this connection with their biological grandma maternally. And then I also was thinking, and my my biological mom, right, she has three biological children and I'm the only one that has children. And mm-hmm. so she also doesn't have connection with her mm-hmm. grandchildren, right? And like right now, and not to say that nothing, anything can change in the future, but like right now there are no other, like no one else is pregnant, no one else is adopting, no one else is growing their family. And so like, there's also that loss and holding that loss for her too, right? Like recognizing her sadness and honoring that, like, this is your biological connection. This is your legacy, your lineage. Mm -hmm. And you also don't have connection with that. And I've been really sitting with that. And like, that stirred up a ton of stuff in me and just kind of trying to like process through that. But I love how you remind us that like, we don't always know how these grief points are going to poke their heads out when they're Mm going to poke their heads out. Usually it's never at a convenient time. And it's just like, we just have to kind of like roll with it. But the more we can just be present with ourselves and attuned to that, I think the more we can show up and take care of ourselves through it all. So interesting. I know. I'm like taking a breath, taking it all in. It's so heavy. It's so important, but, but so heavy. Um, yeah, I know we had kind of talked about kind of sprinkled through just some of that, like misattunement or misconceptions that people have about, you know, the process of searching about reunions. I'm curious for you, like, are there certain things that you see over and over, whether it's with clinicians or like adoptive parents, teachers, when it comes to this process? Yeah, I would say like the misconceptions. um, One is that reunions are mostly joyous Mm -hmm. um, because I just know so many adoptees, like professionally and personally, that reunite and reunite to death right like reunite and their people aren't there or like you know they don't want to have that relationship and that adoptee wanted the relationship right so Mm. misconception that adopt um, reunions are mostly joyous or searches are joyous I think is one of the first ones um it's usually so much more complicated than just joy and happy yeah. Um, and reunions are the end of the road, right? Sort of this like prize. Um, yeah. That is a misconception because reunions are just the beginning. Um, and that's why I try to put like in my workbook, like in reunion, because we may say this is like a caveat of like where we are, but the in is like, it's just forever going. Once you're in it, you know, you're forever on this road. Yeah. And it's really hard to just be like, well, I've reunited and then I'm done. Yeah. It's just the beginning. Um, mm. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think that's also that all like I felt each one of those in my body and like just the accuracy is so spot on. And I think that adoptees listening probably also can feel, you know, they're experiencing a sense of feeling really seen in that because I, I think that too often we're not again, given the permission to like explore, you know, what it might look like if we're still curious or or if things have been kind of feeling like we might have to just be like, oh, I started this now. I just have to suck up and just deal with whatever comes along. And that's also not true, right? Like that's not, that's not accurate. Like if you're noticing that this is becoming too distressing, right? It's okay Mm -hmm. to pivot. It's okay to shift and it's okay to, you know, maybe this isn't the right time or maybe this isn't, you know, something that you necessarily want to do anymore. So honoring those, mm-hmm. those possibilities too, I think are important. 
Yeah. And it doesn't mean the curiosity will go away. It just means like maybe you need to, you know, pick a different time or focus on something different. And I think that, you know, a misconception I see a lot is just that, you know, for non-adoptees, it's like, oh, well, once like you reach that, like, you know, finish line, like life will just go back to normal. Like, it's like, oh, okay, like this, all this stuff happened. And then like, it'll just be business as usual. And it's like, not, I think we talked about before, like there is totally like a, a pre-search, pre-reunion life. And there is like a post-search, post-reunion life. And it's like, you cannot bottle that stuff back in once it's it's out there. And this misconception that it's like really seamlessly done, I don't know where it came from, but I, I have yet to see that. <laughs> I think another misconception that I hear a lot and I still see, unfortunately, too much is that it's even important to begin with, right? Like so many parents think like, I don't understand like why you want to search. Like you don't know these people or you never had family until we adopted you or, you know, still using some of that like massively offensive language. It just like doesn't even make sense. And so I think a misconception too is that like even holding space for this experience to be possible or to exist and, mm. and just allowing that to, to exist mm. for a, an adopted child. So. Mm-hmm. Or like somehow it's feeling a hole. Like I worked with a clinician in like my own personal therapy. And like, I, I was kind of happy in a, in a, in a way to sort of teach her. Right. Um, about this because I could tell she never worked with an adoptee before or one that was like me who is just very knowledgeable about like terms and you know what I was feeling but like she really tried to project on me that like I was feeling a hole and I was like but no like this is just my right like to know them you know there's no mm-hmm. hole you know it mm-hmm. and she was like but it's because you're missing and I was like no you're not getting it you know but yeah <laughs> I was like, if anybody else, or maybe uh, someone who was just not, who needed a little bit more direction or validation, you know, I felt like that she might've, you know, harmed, you know, a little bit more than she intended, of course, um, by stating that there was something missing, you know, if I'm mm-hmm. in, in me, that was the only reason to search and reunite. Yes. I'm like, no, yeah. that's not the case, you know, but well, it's such a low key way, like kind of like microaggression way of like pathologizing. Like she wasn't there sitting, you know, and saying like, oh, you have X, Y, and Z diagnosis. But like the takeaway or the way that systems translate that is like, you're saying something's wrong with me. Like you're saying yeah. that there is inherently something missing about me, that I have something that's not there. And like that doesn't feel great, especially when maybe that idea was already there in some ways as it is for many adoptees. And then like, you're confirming it. And so I think that clinicians and, you know, Mm -hmm. people that are in the fields, like they, we have to be so careful that we're not using language like that, that maybe isn't directly pathologizing, but it still is giving like pathology undertones Mm -hmm. because Mm -hmm. it can be just as harmful. Mm-hmm. And oh my gosh, like when you said this, I was like, been there, done that. Or like, you have to teach your clinician, right? Like, Ugh, yeah. like I have one hour with you and I don't want to spend 40 minutes like telling you this. I remember having a, like, um, showing up in a new city <clears throat> and getting a therapist. Mm-hmm. And, you know, once he found out I was adopted, he spent the first like literally 40 minutes of my intake qu- quizzing me on like, adoption or attachment theory and 
like quizzing me on like, oh, like who developed this attachment style? And, and I remember no. thinking, okay, like, hey, this will be a one and done situation. Like this is not, but yeah. I think like that's a really common experience too, where because so much of our clinical world is misattuned to what adoption really is like really, really like, I can't tell you how many parents come to me and say, yeah, we worked with somebody who said they were adoption informed and they really weren't like they yeah. were causing more harm. And and so we're really thankful that you're here because I think mm-hmm. that there's such a misattunement and ironically, it's like not in any of our schooling, right? Like I never mm-hmm. learned about this. So yeah, I am sorry that you've had that experience too, but I, unfortunately I think it's like all too, too common. Right. Yeah. 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 And it kind of gives to that, like what you were saying earlier, like adopted parents are like, well, why are you searching? You know, this is only family. And the, so the clinician is also saying like, you already have a family, you already have this adopted family. Like, why are you searching? There must, you know, so I was like, no, you know, that's, that's not it. Um, yeah. Well, and I love the way that you frame it. It's like, th- this is just a right, right? Mm-hmm. And we have the choice of if we want to pursue that right. And it doesn't always mean that it's going to be sunshine and butterflies, but like we get that choice. And that. And I think that for anybody that's experienced trauma, having a choice and having options in it is really empowering and really important. Not looking at it as like, you know, this pathologized, like, oh, you're less than, you're incomplete kind of, you know, narrative, because it is, it's just like a right. And that right, unfortunately, got taken from, you know, a lot of us. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like, what a beautiful way to model for our listeners, um, ML, to be able to say, like, to stand firm in that, right? Like, mm-hmm. this is my birthright mm-hmm. to know and to be curious. And, by being curious, that doesn't mean that I'm disloyal. That doesn't mean that I'm a bad person. That doesn't mean that there's something wrong with me. It means that like, I have certain rights and one Mm -hmm. of them is honoring my whole story in its entirety. And to be seen, truly seen, I need to be seen Mm -hmm. in my entirety. And I think that you, you know, did a really beautiful job of modeling for people, like even giving some language on like how to maybe say that in. And I think for sure your workbook does a great job of like giving some of that language and how to stand up maybe in a clinical space or maybe in a familial space or, you know, like why this is so important, right? Like there's a whole workbook now about like journal prompts about like why this is actually so important because all of this stuff matters, you Mm -hmm. know, it so matters. So, so thank you for that. Um, excuse me. I'm like, I feel like every time we record, it's always when I'm coming over some gnarly cold and I'm always having to take like breaks to cough. So thank you for your patience. (laughs) Um, but like if you had specific advice or maybe a message or I don't know, just some wisdom to sprinkle, what would that look like for adoptees? What would that look mm-hmm. like for adoptive parents? And what would the, that look like for professionals or clinicians that work in adoptive mm-hmm. space? Yeah, yeah. Um, this I had, I wanted to take some time. Um, so for my message for adoptees was that to take search and reunion easy, like take it slow. You know, they're oftentimes I think we get this rush you know, and depending on the amount of information, we can find our people quite fast. Um, but search and reunion also has like, it's very emotional, you know, as you can tell, and it doesn't necessarily end. Um, and so take search and reunion easy, slow, um, and find a good support group. 
Mm -hmm. I cannot stress this enough. A support group, one that is non-judgmental, who maybe has been through search and reunion themselves, um, but find people that you can talk to about this because there are going to be things that come up that your non-adoptive friends or family members and loved ones just will not understand. And that's okay, but find an adoptive support group. Mm, I love that. <clears throat> um, mm. For adoptive parents, yeah. please support. That. Yeah, your adoptees with their searching and reunion journeys. Um, be the one that brings up the topic. You know, don't feel like you shouldn't bring it up. You know, oftentimes, you know, in my personal and professional life, I hear that th at this point, sometimes adoptive parents take like a back seat. You know, um, and and that's okay as far as like like doing the search reunion, but like talking about hey anything new, anything you want to talk about, like very, be very supportive to them and let them share with you what's going on. Mm -hmm. um, a lot of times the adoptee wants to talk to you about it because you're the safe parent, right? You're the safe connection. While everything else may be challenging and like they're not sure, it's nice to have that safe space of someone that's known you and that loves you and cares for you. So um mm -hmm. Please support the adoptee. Um, we often want you on our side during this process. Um, and that. then for professionals, um, if you've had no experience guiding and helping someone with this search and reunion, please seek advice and consultation um, from other therapists or people with lived experience. Yes. <laughs> It's just like, it's just something that you cannot help with, honestly, <laughs> if it's something and you could absolutely say harmful statements, um, like early, we're talking about pathologizing. Yeah. So like you could absolutely cause harm in, in this area um, to the person. And so please seek help and guidance um, and see it as a competency. That's what I was like coming to terms with too, is like adopt, adoption, adoptees, like this is like a cultural competency in a way, right? Um, so totally, totally. We are our own culture. There's terms, there's things that we talk about, um, you know, so yeah. please take it as like a cultural competency that if you don't know anything, like take take the routes to get supervision, even consultation. So that's, <clears> what <throat> that's amazing. That's such an, that's a, that's a very powerful reframe. And like, I'm just like letting that sink in because I think that's yeah, such that's a good Wisdom. I know those were powerful statements, right? Like that, that, that it should be seen in that way. And with that, I'm like, what's coming to mind is also like for clinicians or professionals out there that don't have this lived experience, like we do, you know, also having a level of like cultural humility, like, you know, defer to the experts and, you know, be okay and solid enough in yourself to be like, Ooh, I don't know enough. And that really does have a huge potential to keep adoptees from experiencing more secondary trauma and more harm when it comes to, you know, mental health and, you know, these kind of care professions and things like that. Like that's, that's a huge part of this. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And like on the topic of culture too, like that added layer for transracial adoptees another added layer for intercountry adoptees and what that really looks like and feels like an added layer of cultural competence, right? Because like constantly having to check personal bias <clears throat> and implicit bias. So we're not talking about biological family in like a derogatory way and like always trying to really keep that dignity intact for adoptees and let them know that like 
people aren't bad. Sometimes just really hard decisions, right? Like have mm-hmm. to be made or sometimes policy or war or addiction or, you know, who knows what stigma, like those mm-hmm. tend to be really like the driving force. It's not because you don't have value and it's not because you weren't so incredibly loved. And I think too often because there's such a lack of education on what adoption truly is, parents default is like, well, they weren't good people. They were like irresponsible. So like, yeah, they didn't have what they needed. They didn't have the resource, like those kinds of things. Yeah, for sure. So like under that umbrella of cultural competence, just like constantly keeping a pulse on like, how am I feeling about my child's biological family? And like, if I'm not feeling comfortable with, you know, supporting that or even supporting the curiosity around that, like getting kind of curious about why that might even be showing up for you and sitting with that and getting support around that. If that's something that you're feeling like you're struggling with. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and those are, you know, I would argue like those are elements of searching, right? Like adoptees are searching for answers. Why did this happen? Like, why, why me? Like what was going on? And I think that sometimes, you know, it maybe kind of goes over parents or clinicians heads of like, if we provide some of that very honest, truthful, yes, hard information, like that is helping with elements of searching, right? It's it's giving little pieces of that, of that puzzle that we don't want to overlook. Like we don't have to just be doing like the big, huge, like search and reunion that you see in the movies. It can be all of these little tiny things in between on the journey. Totally. Yeah. Is there anything else and related to like the topic of search and reunion mm-hmm. that we haven't touched on, but that just like is really on your heart. Mm. I feel like it's just search and reunion. It's almost like this very vast landscape. Totally. You know? And like, I remember giving this um, journal to some of my friends and, and people who like weren't touched by adoption. And mm. so to say, so, but they would be like, well, what about, sibling relationships in search and reunion like they were giving me other ideas and I was like yes and like there's just there's just so hard I want people to know it's so hard to write I think a one-size-fits-all thing so if this does not like match with you that's okay you know what I mean and like I want you to know just because I didn't it's not in here doesn't mean that it's not hard right or it's just something like I was like oh should I write a part two because there's I just got so much other parts that are hardships right or you know I my um counseling practice called hiking the heart so I always think about that sort of metaphor of like traversing which just means going Mm -hmm. from point a to point b and usually on the ridge line so Mm -hmm. but that just means it's harder so Mm -hmm. I'm like oh these different heart roads that I didn't even think about but yes are absolutely impactful within search and reunion um, so that's what's on my heart is that like is it, it was I loved it but um oh man is it just incredibly vast to even like write something yeah um, prompts for for this topic yeah yeah it's like impossible to prepare for all of the options because yes. with searching and if it comes to reunion of any kind it's just you can never prepare for all of the potential outcomes. And I think that having this is absolutely amazing. I mean, it would be so awesome if it became like a series or something that like then dives into some of the other things because it never is a one size 
fits all. But I think that just how you were saying that the reality of this is so expansive that it's like, it would be impossible to in one fell swoop, put it all in like a book or a workbook. Like it would be impossible. Totally. Yeah. But here we have this awesome resource. And again, you just, the way you so beautifully said that, you know, just like really giving permission for all of it to exist. So whether you find it on the pages or not, like it doesn't mean that your story or your experiences don't exist and aren't valid. So yeah, that's such a good reminder. Um, so tell our community where they can find you. Tell them how they can get in touch with you, social media, any upcoming things. Let us know like how can where we- they can get this book. Yeah, where they can get this yeah. book. Let us yeah. know. <clears throat> so you can get the book through Amazon, a paper copy. Um, and then you can also get the book through my website, a digital copy. Um and so you could download it. Um, my website's www.hikingtheheart.com. And then as far as getting in touch with me, um, I have been a little bit quiet in social media these days, but honestly, that's going to be the best way. Email Maria Trimble at hikingtheheart.com or um, Instagram is going to be another way to get a hold of me. Um, I do love a good meme. So I do, <laughs> I am on Instagram, I'm like, Ooh, I love this meme. Um, just for, you know, those little short laughs, but, um, yeah, those would be the best ways. And Oh, my handle is M tremble, um, underscore LMHC. Awesome. Awesome. Perfect. And for those of you that need the title, her book is called Journaling Through Adoptee Reunion, Journal Prompts for Adoptees Navigating the Search and Reunion Process. So get your copy. It's amazing. Yeah, we'll put a link in the show notes too, just in case somebody wants to go off and get it. It's amazing. Um, and I like it's a treasure. So thank you for what you've done for our community. And thank you for sharing your time and energy with all of us today. We'll have to have you back because... Yeah. There's so much more to explore. And um, this topic was just so timely with our Search and Mini, your Search and Reunion mini series, but um, there's a lot more that I know we could talk about. So thank you. And thanks for all the work that you do too. I see you doing like really awesome work with the Peruvian adoptee community. And I know you have an active role in that. So thanks for all you do to create community and safety for others and helping other people feel really seen and affirmed on this crazy wild ride of adoption so thank you thank you too for this podcast for all the work you do um it's definitely needed and um yeah I really enjoy all listening to all the episodes oh thank, thank you, you. Well, if you are listening and you have feedback or questions or comments as always you can get a hold of Marcella and I at Adoptees Dish podcast on Instagram or at adoptiesdish at gmail.com. We always love hearing from you guys in between episodes. And yeah, until next time. Bye, guys. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to Adoptees Dish. We want to give a special shout out to Patreon, Spotify, iTunes, and Anchor. If you like what you heard and want to support our work, or allow us to have amazing guests on their show, please consider making a donation. We can be reached on Instagram at Adoptees Dish Podcast, at Grohio Blossom, and Marcella Maslow. And you can send us emails at adoptiesdish at gmail.com. Thanks again for listening, and join us next week for our next episode. Please share this podcast. Talk to others about things you learned. Together, we have the potential to heal broken systems. Thank you.